Amen. Good morning. So that you don't spend the next 30 minutes figuring out who this guy is, if you will just uh, allow me, I'll just give a little bit of background uh, so you know who is standing here. I became a Christian over 50 years ago from a non-Christian background. I had lived a fairly rough life with my upbringing, and uh, my mother had died, and my brothers were scattered, and I had a job, and I was working and living in a house by myself, and somebody invited me to a tent crusade in which the preacher was Frank Houston. (laughs) And uh, this little man was conveying, even though I didn't understand what he was talking about, uh, that I was not good. I knew that. Uh, I knew I'd done some what I call naughty things, sinful things, but at the end of the meeting, I went up, and I remember I stood at the front. I'd never been to church. I didn't know the protocols, and he asked me, he says, what do you want? And I said, I don't know. He said to me, I know what you need. You need Jesus, and I said, that sounds good, because remember, when you come from a non-Christian background, you don't have all the, the Christian information. You don't have the Sunday school stories. You have nothing, and he put his hand out to pray for me, and uh, I stood back because I wasn't used to people raising my, their hand against me for nice things. And uh, he prayed for me, and uh, I remember I went, got up and uh, went home and uh, went to work next day. And I had been very violent, and I'd been very blasphemous. I could curse and swear and, and burn the ears off anybody, and I had a violence that went with it. And uh, when I got to uh, work that day, one of my work colleagues accidentally tipped a, a jug of hot water as he was walking over to make morning tea down my boot. I don't know if this was demonically instigated, divinely instigated, or just an accident. Uh, I'm not going to go there. But I do know that rather than react with a, a violent expression of blasphemy and cursing, and then taking him by the scruff of the neck and dealing him with a proper blow, um, I found that there was a grace. And uh, I didn't swear. I'd lost three quarters of my language from the night before, and what I had left wasn't very good. And uh, I also found that I didn't react. Now, this amazed me because I hadn't been to the church to become accustomed to practices and expression. This is the night after I was saved and found Jesus as my Savior. And uh, from that day on, I had to learn. I remember the first communion service. Frank Houston came from Lower Hutt, so I went through to Lower Hutt on one of the weekends, and I sat at the back of the Red Cross Hall there in Lower Hutt, and, and he, uh, there, there was communion service taking place about 10.30 in the morning, and I'd never been to a communion service. And I remember they passed around. I was sitting in the back, and they had this tray with little broken biscuits, and I... I took one and I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's small. And then they passed this tray with little glasses. I think they were still glass then. They weren't plastic and they're about this big. And I took one out and I'd never seen a glass that size in my life. And I'm holding this biscuit and holding this cup. And this is what goes through my mind as a person who's just saved and knows nothing. What a miserable morning tea. What a tight lot, you know. And uh, oh, what would you think, you see? 
hope I haven't offended anybody here, but I mean, I don't know. And then somebody explained that this was a remembrance ritual in the church to remember what Jesus had done. I felt all embarrassed. And uh, that's the way the Lord touched me. When I got healed for the first time, I heard the preacher say, God can heal. And I just accepted. I didn't know how he did it. My analytical, logical mind wanted to figure out how he did it. How a God who wasn't present could somehow heal me of a physical ailment. But, you know, I just threw it at one side and said, well, preacher says God can do it. God can do it. And I remember one day I was at work and I was leaving. I had these migraine headaches. Who's had migraines? And you know, and in no way I'm making judgment here, but I had migraines and I was leaving and I had to go off to a Christian event and drive in the car. And as I was leaving, they, this migraine come, it closed down my thinking, it closed down my sight, there's a dreadful pain and I knew I wouldn't be able to go. As I was walking along the footpath to leave, it suddenly popped into my mind. You know, um, the preacher said God can heal. Now remember, I am saved, I'm not blaspheming anymore, I'm not punching people up. But I still have a fairly direct attitude. All right? Does anyone know what I mean? Saved by the grace of God, but still, you know, blunt. And, uh, and so in my heart, a prayer goes up to God. And it's something like this. God, if you're up there, you better get your act together and heal me. Uh, you know, uh, hope I haven't offended anybody. But I'm just born again. I haven't gone through this melancholy sanctification process yet, you know. <laughs> And so, uh, so I, I just pray this out of my heart. And as I'm walking out, one of my workmates has is, is got one of these big shooting planes. In the olden days, before you had aluminium windows, you had these wooden windows. And he's, he's planing this wooden window up on a ladder. And as I walk underneath, he brings it down and he cracks me right on top of the head. And I'm instantly healed of my migraine. Now... Pastor Mike and, and uh, Pastor Joy, they run a real lovely ministry. I've been with them in, in, in um, uh, meetings where we've been sharing together. He, they minister lovely. These are, they're lovely ministers. And people got healed lovely. But, so why didn't I get healed lovely? You know, when I get hit over the head with a hunk of metal. Well, a few years later when I thought about it, a scripture came to mind. With the same measure you measure out, it will be measured to you again. And so I learned the hard way that sowing and reaping, amen, has consequences. I went to a, a, a meeting, and at that meeting, I was sitting in the back, and this is all happening within six months. And I'm sitting in the back of the meeting, and uh, everyone is worshiping the Lord like they did today. I hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I'm just getting saved. And people are speaking in strange languages where I go to meetings, but I thought they were all foreigners, you know. And, uh, and so I'm there in the meeting, I'm enjoying God, no one's you know, informed me of anything, and I'm sitting in the back of this meeting, and then um, we, we find that the, um, uh, a guy next to me, I don't know who his name was, he was, he was about uh, two gaps between me and him, we're in the back, and everyone's worshipping the Lord, and the preacher of that service was A.C. Valdez, one of the original guys back in Zuzu Street Day, actually had come over from America, and he's... I didn't know who he was then, and he's there, and I'm looking at this guy, and this is deep theology, folks. You've got to really position yourself for this. This is deep stuff. I'm looking over at this guy next to me, and he looked happier than me. He's a foreigner, of course, because he's speaking a different language. And I'm looking at him, and I'm standing there, and I'm saved. I love Jesus, and I'm starting to think like this. He looks happier than me. Why is he happier than me if we both got the same thing, this foreigner? And, um, 
and, and as I'm thinking there about this, and everyone's worshipping God, and we're standing up, I'm having this conversation with myself. And you, It's okay to talk to yourself. It's okay to answer yourself back. But when you get into cancelling yourself out, you've got a real problem, I tell you. And so I'm having this conversation. And the Spirit of God, which I used to call God things. Remember when I got healed, it was a God thing. Everything's a God thing. I hadn't got any terminology yet. So if it's God, it's his thing. So I called them God things. So this God thing is going on. And I suddenly right there and then say, okay, Lord. Uh, you know, uh, I want what he's got, whatever he's got. This is risky stuff, eh? You know, because I know he had something. And, you know, God looks after his young, stupid believers, doesn't he? He loves them. Anyone fit in that category where you're young in the faith and totally stupid and God out of his grace just covers you, leads you, looks after you until you grow up and he pulls away for a while so he can act like a son? Amen? Well, I was like that in that phase and suddenly... I say, Lord, I want what he's got. I have no idea what happened, but I learned the theology of the difference between the spirit and the mind right there, right then, experientially. Something hit me down in here, and a laughter started in here. My brain said to me, you're cracking up. I'm bending over because I asked for what this happy foreigner wanted here. And I'm bending over, and my brain is saying, you're cracking up. In here, there's this huge laughter. And as I'm bending over like this, I'm really getting concerned up here. But I'm getting really, really uptight down here. And all of a sudden, out of my mouth comes this strange language that this foreigner over here. And I'm speaking it in tongues. And within an instant, I kind of thought in my mind, I'm cracking up. And the spirit witnessed, well, this is what you asked for. And I kind of said, what was it? Okay, go with it. And got filled with the spirit. When I return back to my home church, bad theology can be good sometimes to stimulate you. Anybody ever been guided by God by bad theology? Well, I have. It, it shouldn't hang around and take root in your heart and life, but sometimes it can motivate you. I was sitting in a church like this, and I felt that if I wasn't baptized in water, immediately I was going to go to hell. And I'll tell you, that was a great motivation because I'd already seen one baptism service and I couldn't see the logic of being dipped in water once I was saved in Jesus. But I'll tell you, when I was in a service and a bad thought uh, came to me, an untheological thought, as if you don't get baptized, you're going to hell, I'll tell you, I got motivated. And I went up to the elders after that meeting and I said to them, I've got to be baptized. And they said, well, we can arrange it next week. I said, no way, it's got to be today. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm going to hell tonight. I want to be baptized today. You know, bad theology is good stuff to get you moving. All right? Now, I've got to get it corrected later on. Otherwise, I'll be baptized every day. Amen. But anyway, there's baptism in water, and we had to go out to a farm. And one of the, uh, the elders were at meeting out on a farm, and they said, come out to the farm. And it was the middle of winter under Mount Taranaki. And we went out to the Matapu farm there. And and I turned up, and my car broke down, so I had to get my brother-in-law to drive me out. And we went out there, and I turned up, and they said, okay, we didn't have time, you know, to clean up the, you know, where they normally baptize. So they said, are you happy to be baptized in the cow trough? <clears throat> and they said, so I, I said, oh, it, it doesn't bother me. I'm not into hygiene uh, or anything like that. If you knew what I was like, I, you know, I'm not into anything. I mean, it's water, be baptized. So we march over to the cow shed, and it's one of those big triangular ones. And it was freezing in the middle of winter. I couldn't believe it. Must be an idiot when I think about it now. 
and uh, I climbed into the, into the trough there, and one guy on one side, and one guy on the other side, and they baptized me in water, and I came out. And folk, I want to tell you, now I'm not going to hell. <clears throat> well, I was saved through faith, and it's good to have water baptism as an affirmation of spiritual declaration of how you're going to live in the future. That's, I wanted to tell you that, that's where I came from. Amen. It's over 50 years ago. And I've been 45 years in the ministry and uh, pioneered churches in New Zealand. And uh, I've also operated on big churches and big churches and small churches and in our movement and missions and church planting and done all those bits and pieces. I don't want to talk about that because I've gained stuff over the years. I've gained experience over the years. I've learned another thing too. You can't depend on experience because... Just when you're depending on your experience, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and does something new that you've never done before. And so I draw on my experience, but I don't completely rely on it And uh, because God is always doing different things. Pastor Mike, Pastor Joy are incredible people. And um, I've often shared the Apostle Paul went through six phases in his ministry and his life. And each one of those phases came about a change where God spoke or God enacted and they moved into another phase. And, and uh, last year it was all by accident. I um, found myself uh, speaking at a pastor's gathering and Pastor Mike and Pastor Joy were also there speaking. And um, I'd only found out a day or so beforehand that we would both be speaking and um, uh, while we were ministering there, uh, Pastor Mike gave an incredible word, uh, which I believe is part of his message, is to really strengthen believers and uh, leaders in their spiritual life. People can get so caught up in the momentum and the atmosphere of church and the challenges out there in society. Ministers can have such charisma that uh, everyone thinks that they're a 100% perfect saint, but underneath... They need strengthening, they need support, they need fresh understanding of where they are, they need their foundational pillars reinforced again. And, all, and, and I listened to Pastor Mike share at that meeting and I thought, this is incredible. Uh, this is good stuff. This is good stuff that he has deposited into the base church. It's good material that he is depositing around the world. And I felt at the end of the meeting, because I knew some Pending changes were coming. I couldn't speak publicly about them. But I remember praying for them that they are going to move in their ministry. Not a new ministry. It's not a new ministry internationally. It's going from being atomic to nuclear. Amen? It's cranking it up a level. Because decisions are made uh, to release uh, your senior pastor who has only so much energy. I'm getting old too. And I find out I'm a bit short. These young bucks here, let's, let's kill them. Amen? Uh, you know, but I'm getting a bit older now, you know, and you, you can't do everything that you did before and then add on top new dimensions of ministry. And while we're in that meeting there, uh, even though it's not primarily Mike and Joy's focus, it is an incredible part of their focus is ministering into pastors and leaders. And they had a time of prophetic input into leaders. And I just sat there 
uh, and uh, they asked me to participate. But why should I participate in something I know? Because most of the pastors from Australia and from New Zealand and from uh, Pacific Islands that had gathered there, leaders of their, na- of their denominations, some of them, and, and they were there, and, and Mike was prophesying. I'm sitting on the front row there and thinking how precision, how precise what they were ministering, Mike and Joy, together. And they had one particular guy, and I knew that he was planning to set up a cross-the-body-of-Christ Bible school in a particular country overseas. I knew he had been a leader uh, of his network, a large denominational group over there. I knew God had been speaking to him. I knew that he was making arrangements. And then his mic sound, oh, I think, I, I can see you, amen, you know, establishing training program for young people. I can see you this and see you that, and I'm ticking them all off. And then another pastor in New Zealand with a good church, with educational programs, secular schools and everything like this, I see Mike just touching everything, one thing after another in prophetic word, affirming it. And then at the end of it, somebody had the audacity to say, did I want to say something? And I just said, no. I'm not here as a prophetic affirmer, a prophetic declarer. I've already acted in a sort of an oversight apostolic role with these people to help them through these problems. But what he's done is he's affirmed it before God that there's not only issues that they are facing, but there are answers and God is breaking the ground prophetically for what has already been endorsed and covered in counsel. Amen. And I walked out of that meeting and I basically, you know, felt, yeah, What Pastor Mike has been doing and Pastor Joy have been doing is also going to continue um, uh, to a greater extent as they are released into that role. Not not transitioned, as Mike said in the church, transitioned, uh, but as they are released from this congregation, on this journey of change, amen, where you're investing them into the nations of the world, amen. When I read the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13, and I read through that uh, uh, verses about the Antioch church, there's a, a lot of material in there, but there's one thing that always sticks out, and it's picked up again in chapter 13. is when God speaks prophetically, like Agabus came to that church and said, listen, there's going to be a famine in the land. The people rose up. Don't you like, I like this. The people rose up, and they gathered an offering and sent it to Jerusalem. Amen? It cost them financially at that occasion to fulfill what God was prophetically speaking to a church that had a greater perspective of the body of Christ on what had to be done in the world. They didn't have to be begged. They didn't have to have money extracted from them. The prophetic word motivated them for concern. And when it came later on in Acts 13 and the leaders of the church, the prophets and the teachers were praying together, they were ministering to God, they were fasting, they were giving priority to where the church was going and what the church was doing. The Holy Spirit, at the end of that cycle of consecration, of prayer, of giving God first place, at the end of that cycle, the Spirit of God said, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, Saul, for the ministry that I've called them. Now, these guys are key leaders in the Antioch church. And because there is a prophetic atmosphere, again, it's costing them to send the best into the nations of the world. But that church was a church that was developed in the culture 
of Jesus. This gospel shall be go into all the world. And as you speak prophetically, Lord, we will, amen, hear that word and abide, even if it is costly to us. And so I believe that through proper processes, with your leadership, with your oversight, uh, with Mike and Joy involved, with, um, uh, with uh, counsel from the outside, uh, overseers, uh, prophetic oversight, that's me and Mike, uh, will do that. Mike's role is interim executive minister. He's just uh, taking burden off Mike, never um, superseding uh, Pastor Mike here. Mike Wittenberg is, 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 is taking a role to assist in this process so that in, in working with the oversight team and Lynn, uh, a lot of things are just not reverting back through this transition stage to Mike and Joy as they are preparing themselves for the future. Amen? So I think we're in exciting days. And I'd just like to share very quickly, because I'm going to be quick, we're nearly done. And it's time to go and do what needs to be done next. But I'd like to just share just some uh, thoughts with you from the Word of God. Uh, I heard a song that was being sung uh, this morning. It says, Swing wide your heavenly gates, prepare the way for the risen Lord. Now, uh, the, the worship team would not be aware that um, Resurrection Day was the background of my message that I want to share in five minutes. Okay. And so I'm used to punching them out and letting you go out with your head spinning. All right? And, uh, but uh, I've often wondered, Jesus died on the cross... And three days later, he rose from the dead. And it's always intrigued me what Jesus did over those three days. We know that the whole of creation shook when Jesus died on the cross. When he rose from the dead, the tomb door was rolled away. Not that Jesus could get out, but so that we could look in. And the whole of creation shook. We knew that dead religion or um, not dead religion, but obsolete religion. Uh, the temple was split from top to bottom to say that entry into the presence of God through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus was, was opened all. And so we see a, a, a change there. Sin was dealt with. No longer to be dealt with through the sacrifice of animals, but the one and all sacrifice of Jesus had, had disempowered the power of sin over the human race and over creation and over the universe, and we see that Satan himself is disarmed. The keys of hell and death are taken off him. We read in Colossians that the cross, amen, has disarmed demons and their powers, and there's a tremendous amount of, of change of legitimate authority taking place through the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the physical world, the spiritual world is being turned upside down. If I could put it into human terms, we know that these things are happening in the, uh, in the eternal realms, but if we could put it into the realm of time, uh, we would say that Jesus was extremely busy. And a, and a lot of busy things are really happening. The saints uh, are being transported to paradise, and there's a there's, there's a whole lot of strategic plans about to be unfolded, which the Father and which Jesus and the, and the soon engaging of the Holy Spirit and the lives of believers and the lives of the church. There's a lot of stuff happening. And I, I want you to know Jesus is very busy. 
and uh, it put it in human times. He ain't got time for some things, all right? But that's not the Lord Jesus Christ because on Resurrection Day, because it's a new day, resurrection power is engaging a new day. Disciples have been with Jesus. There are a lot of the things Jesus said they could not understand. Even Jesus dying on the cross caught heartache amongst all the disciples, amongst the apostles. Peter himself blew it completely. Well, the last look he got from Jesus was following his denial of Jesus. And he runs out broken and weeping. I'll tell you, this is a very difficult time for the disciples. It's a very difficult time for the devil. It's a very difficult time for Jesus as he bears the sin of the world. But resurrection day is coming. And there's a lot of big things happening. But on resurrection day, what does Jesus do? The first thing he does is he visits three people. Or in the last case, two people. The first one is Mary Magdalene. Now, we know he visited a group of women at the tomb, but let's focus on that one lady who went back to the tomb and is pondering at the tomb, and Jesus turns up to her, and she thinks he's the gardener. And then she's pondering, and she's wondering what had happened. She's trying to put it all together. And Jesus standing behind her, you know, and she's asking, you know, where have you laid the master? And Jesus just says that one word, Mary. (laughs) I love this, you know. I've been in Pentecostal, charismatic, moves of God since I got saved over 50 years ago. I've been up and down, through and around, up and all. I've seen a lot of the stuff, amen. I've seen prophetic stuff of, you know, that it's absolutely phenomenal. You are going to be the padre on the next spaceship to Venus. You know, I've heard some of the greatest things, and some of them carry an element uh, of reality and, uh, and, 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 and enrichment in people's lives. But just imagine, you know, someone comes out on an altar call, comes out at the front of a church, and you're going to pray for them and minister to them, and you're trying to think, you know, I need to give them a real buzz, a real God thing sometimes. But I got over that years ago. I give people what they need. And I've seen some of the greatest things happening by standing there, and there's somebody there, and I've looked them in the eye, and I thought, yeah, I can see things in the spirit. I can see things I need to tell them, but what do they need? And you just looked at them there, and it's a bit like Jesus. And Jesus just says, Mary. Oh, he could have, I mean, he'd just been in the spirit realm, setting, demolishing Satan's, transporting saints, and getting keys. I mean, he could have said, Mary, I've got something I want to tell you here. You know, I've been having a brilliant three days. <laughs> you know, you've got no idea what's been going on. You know, he's not focusing on the overall picture. He's focusing on Mary. And he just says, Mary, because she needed assurance. She's a solid saint. She's not wandering, and she needed affirmation. And I want to say here this morning, during this transition phase, it's like a resurrection day. It's not completely new. I want to just bring the picture. It's an extension, but it's an extension into the next phase of ministry as a church. And some people are probably standing there, and you're solid saints. You've been around. You're like Mary. You're at the tomb. You're trying to put it all together. And Jesus is appearing to you, and he's just saying, Mary. That's all. And you're saying, well, I need more. I want to tell you, Mary didn't need more. She knew Jesus was in control. Jesus was alive. It was happening. There are some things that are going to unpackage in the next few days. It tells us in Luke, as well as 1 Corinthians 15, Luke 22, it says, the next person Jesus visited was Peter. 
That's one conversation I would like to have been party to. There's nothing in the Bible about that. It really drives me nuts. You know, it just says in Luke, you know, Jesus has appeared to Peter. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says he appeared to Peter. Now, Peter, three days earlier, had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And the incredible thing I find about Peter is why was he still around? I mean, all the disciples would have knew and he, known he had denied Jesus three times. So why was he still with the disciples? Is he an idiot or something? Aren't people supposed to go and isolate? Go away, lick their wombs? I've let Jesus down. Everybody else will hate me. I'm going down the garden to eat some snails because I cleaned the worms up three days ago. Uh, you know, what's he going to do? But he's there. And he's at the meeting. And uh, we know that Jesus comes to him personally and visits him. And it's the process of restoration. I won't go into it all now, but I just wanted to say, Jesus had made a mistake. It was a mistake. It was a mistake that came out of his ego. It was a mistake that came out of all the others might leave you, Lord, but not me. I'll die with you. It was a, a false agape. I am going to sacrifice for you. But it came out of a, a selfish, ambitious, egotistical heart. And we know that Jesus prophesied that he would deny him three times. And when he had, Peter was broken. But three days later, you know, shouldn't Jesus have said, he's a total disaster. I've been trying to teach him servanthood for three years. He's blown it so many times. I've taught him about it three times. Even at that last meeting we had, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. And again, I told them the servanthood, the broken heart, serving others, not serving your own ego like the Gentiles do and everything. But they didn't get it, didn't get it. And when he had a moment to change, he still didn't get it. And he's denied me three times, so blow him. But on resurrection day, a new day, many disciples pumping, looking, expecting, we got Mary at the tomb, and Jesus just speaks her name and assures her heart. But Peter, he had failed Jesus, and Jesus comes and sets him on a path of restoration. This nation and the nations of the world would be changed if every debilitated Christian could just get refocused on Jesus. Are people going to offend you? People going to hurt you? People going to knock your teeth out? Absolutely. That's why I've got no hair on my head. I'm sorry, this lovely lady here going to uh, get your hair done. I was thinking, oh, wonderful, I'll join that. I'll get my hair cut off. And uh, but, uh, all sorts of offenses will come against the saints of God. Most of them are nurtured in our own hearts. Sometimes they're nurtured through conversation, which is not healthy to you. But I want to I tell you, everybody will be offended, everybody will hurt. But can you process? And here on Resurrection Day, Jesus comes to Peter to process him through it. And the third couple is what we call the couple on the road to Emmaus. And I'd just like to finish with this, and I know I'm going a couple of seconds over, but I don't want to extend it. Uh, but here we see the third couple. It says in Luke 24, verse 13, it says, And that same day, the day that everything was happening, in resurrection day, Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they did not 
And then they were kept from recognizing him. He was somehow spiritually incognito. He walked with them. And that's incredible. Why didn't he just do a big miracle? Because some people need a change of their kingdom thinking before they have a miraculous experience. Not everything can be answered by miraculous experience. Sometimes it has to be a reorientation of the way we think and our worldview. So here we see, he asked them, what were you discussing together as you walk along? Boy, I hate it when Jesus asks questions. 158 of them in the Bible provoked to ask, and every time I read one, it really, really gives me a hard time. And they stood still, and their faces downcast. And one of them named uh, Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus says, about Jesus of Nazareth? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Please follow me in this story. They replied, He was a prophet. Um, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in work and deed before God and all the people. These are these two bods. Uh, And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now, verse 21 is the crucial verse. We'll come back to it, but I'll read it now. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? This is where it gets really nutty. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. This morning. They went to the tomb but didn't find his body, and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. This is good stuff, isn't it? And uh, who said that he was alive. And some of our companions, that's Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see. Now, Jesus in the Greek here really loses it. But he says to them, foolish, how foolish are you and how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Here's the question. If Jesus had declared that he was going to rise from the dead and prior to leaving Jerusalem, these two people had all this evidence of angelic witness to women and two of the key apostles going there and verifying it, Why the heck were they walking away? Ever ask that question? I mean, it isn't just that they got up in the morning and thought, nah, this didn't work out, I'm moving on. They had all this evidence. They had been with the disciples. They had heard the testimony that uh, the women had brought, that angels had spoken, that it had been verified, the tomb was empty, Jesus is gone. Yet they are walking away. And the key to that is found in verse 21. It says in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Sometimes we can create agendas and ideas in our own mind. And yet God is moving on to a new phase. It's resurrection day. There's a lot happening at Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is. But their own theology had them walking away, nullifying what they had heard, simply because it did not fulfill their agenda. We had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. No, no. He wasn't going to bring back a political social kingdom at that time. What he was going to do is release the church into the world with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so what I'd like to just say as I conclude today is on Resurrection Day, amen, and I'm taking this as an example, as your church as your people, as your leaders process through this phase of change. It's not a back step, it's a forward step. And Mary's, just hear the fact, Jesus, 
Merry groups of people just here. Jesus is there and he's speaking your name and he's saying he's right in the place. Anyone who has failed, made a mistake and blown it like Peter. You haven't, listen, I blew it a number of times as a Christian growing up. Not reverting back to the world. Do you know Frank Houston told me when I went to his 50th ministry, he's, he's dead and passed on now, but when I went to his 50th ministry celebration in Sydney, I actually asked me to say something. And I did mention, I said, look, do you know that when I was in Bible school, they were going to kick me out once? And he stood up and said, not once, three times. <laughs> he said, but I knew God had something on your life. And we stuck with it. My wife recently was at work and, um, and they asked her, where did you meet Cam? And she says, I met him when he turned up at church as a new convert. And he had a beat-up old Citroen. He had boots on, shorts that were falling off him, and no shirt. And she said, well, what appealed, you know? And she said, absolutely nothing. But God gave me that moment where two minutes I could show that the book of the cover might be dreadful. But inside was a gracious, nice person. I knew I'd rattle you on that one. Could you imagine Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost, having not been changed, carrying the arrogance that he carried before he had been broken and reformed? But God reformed him because he had a future. Can I pray as I hand back to the past? Thank you. I've stolen an extra five or six minutes. Father, I just thank you today for this wonderful congregation. As they journey with... Lord, the, this change, but not a reversal, but it's a change as a journey. As the pastor said, we're journeying into the future. And, uh, and Father, we just pray for Mike and Joy. Father, I ask that the leadership team, the oversight team, I pray to God for the pastors and those involved in the various ministries of the church that you'll stand before them as you stood before Mary. And you're not just going to come out with a lot of profound qualifications, ratification statements. They have their place. But you're just going to speak your presence there. I'm here, Mary. I'm standing right here. I'm resurrection life. I have a future. I have a plan. And Lord, with, with Peters, and Lord, you, you visit them. Lord, we'd love to know what that conversation entailed, but we do know what unfolded from it. The restoration of a new heart, a new servanthood, a new desire to serve you at any expense. And he became part of the future. And Lord, those ones that were walking away because they'd written their own agenda over the situation and they didn't have an ear to hear what God was saying. They didn't hear the voice of the women who came back and said, the Lord is risen, angels told us. They didn't hear the affirmation of Peter and John. They didn't hear that because of the power of the word that they had written in their minds and hearts. But Jesus, you walked with them. And as you walked with them, you stimulated their spirits. You inflamed their hearts with a prophetic word that this was what God was doing. And right at the end of that walk, you revealed yourself to them and they were stimulated and they immediately got back into Jerusalem to be part of the next phase of your purpose in the earth. Father, I commit this congregation to you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Pastor.